Styling really found me as a career because I truthfully didn't wake up one day and, be, and say, I want to be a stylist and I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get there. I just did all these things. I did hair and makeup. So that's also a big part of my job now is glam. That's Brit Theodora. And this is the Powerful Ladies Podcast. host Cara Duffy and in this episode I'm excited for you to meet Brit Theodora, celebrity stylist and founder of Brit Theodora Studio. She works with well-known celebrities such as Pete Davidson, she was part of his look at the Met Gala this year, as well as up-and-coming artists and she also helps regular people like you and me look amazing too. For her styling is a love language and it comes through in how she works with all of her clients. In this episode we discuss her new business energy styling how she became a stylist, how her business made it through the pandemic, and how her network has impacted her personal trajectory. Welcome to the Powerful Ladies Podcast. Thank you. (laughs) I always get like, you and I talk all the time, and then when I know I'm being recorded, I get a little nervous, but I'll snap out of it. (laughs) You'll forget soon. Uh, Let's tell everybody your name, where you are in the world, and what you're up to. My name is Britt Theodora, and I am a fashion stylist, and I'm based in New York. Basically, I work with actors to join their big, wild, crazy ride of what... uh, whatever promotional things that they're doing. So red carpet, um, campaigns, commercials, anything. You make sure they look good no matter where they are. Exactly. Which is very important. Yes. (laughs) And I also work with people too, but that's my business is mostly celebrity styling. Yes. And you also have another business called energy styling. Yes. So I have Um, my little baby energy styling, which I started dreaming up a little bit before lockdown and then COVID kind of made me, um, forced me to pivot a little bit and then also strategize that side of my business, Mm -hmm. which we're still working on. (laughs) Yes. So you, so you have energy styling, you have your celebrity styling. You also work with everyday people. Like you've worked with Mm -hmm. myself and some other people I know Yeah, uh, because everyone should look good so that they can feel empowered. Um, But I'd love to go back to the beginning of how, when did you know you wanted to be a stylist and how does someone become a stylist? Because in my head, I'm like, How do you make that bridge from, I want to style you to someone like one of your now famous clients, Pete Davidson being like, yes, Britt, I I will work with you. Like, how, how do you go from wishing upon a star to getting celebrities to say yes? So uh, this, this dream happened a long time ago. I was 13. When I was 13, that's really when I started um, following fashion. I used to sleep with a teen Vogue under my pillow every single night. I would read it to go to bed and then check the mail every day for the next issue. And I was just so fascinated by, um, fashion and, um, how it really helped 
shape an image of someone. And I love the storytelling aspect mm-hmm. of it all. Um, but truly, I I was really fortunate to grow up in an environment where I was encouraged to do all the things that I loved, ballet, um, fashion. I mean, I went through a skateboarding phase, like, you know, all, all the little things that kind of led me to going to school for journalism because I wanted to be an editor. And that's really initially what I wanted to do in fashion was be a fashion editor. Um, I would lie. I would, I would be lying if I didn't admit that watching the Hills and Devil Wears Prada didn't influence me (laughs) in any way, but I truly felt like very drawn to it. Um, styling specifically, I did not know was a very tangible career. I had seen the Rachel Zoe project, but I thought she was like the only one who was allowed to do it. And then, um, you know, 10 years ago, uh, is when I was about a freshman in college, I I think. And, um, I was studying journalism and I started applying for internships in New York. And so my first big internship, um, was in PR for Gucci, which I kind of lucked out in that way because, um, everyone else that I, interned with they were all ivy leaguers and i went to the university of arizona and the only reason really why i got that internship besides a really great connection which was my supervisor at the time went to college with my older sister but i had a fashion blog and i started my fashion blog in high school and this is before instagram um and i love to write and me and my best friend shared the blog and we would do little photo shoots together. We would like plan our outfits out. And this was like, like I totally got made fun of for it. Um, and I know, I know the word unicorn comes to, <laughs> comes in your head right now because I totally was a unicorn in that way. I've always really, I've, I've really always have just been doing what I love to do. I did, I had a hair and makeup business when I was in high school. I've always been really entrepreneurial. So <laughs> Styling really found me as a career because mm-hmm. I truthfully didn't wake up one day and be, and say, I want to be a stylist and I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get there. I just did all these things. I did hair and makeup. So that's also a big part of my job now is glam. And that whole process of getting a client ready. I worked in PR for Gucci and Lanvin and, um, you know, these big high fashion houses. And then, um, and when I was working for them, I was writing out the the loan sheets to the stylist. So I'd be writing, you know, Gucci spring look 12 on loan to, you know, Rachel Zoe. I mean, she wasn't really styling at the time, but like I mm-hmm. that's what I was doing and writing out who the celebrity was. And I truly didn't even connect the dots that that was a job that I could have. I was like, that's literally just the coolest job ever. And I'm, I wasn't born into (laughs) coolness. So here we are just going to work in PR. And then when I graduated college, um, a mentor from one of my internships, um, was like my friend, Michaela Erlanger is hiring. She's a big celebrity stylist. She, she was having a big moment because of Lupita Nyong'o had just done that, um, iconic award season where she had the blue Prada on and, um, 
you know, some of those looks from that award season are still some of the most memorable red carpet looks. And um, I was trying to work at Vogue and I was interviewing at Vogue and she, my mentor at the time was like, this will be a better experience to work for Michaela than Vogue. And so um, I was hesitant because I was like, how is a stylist hiring? A, I was, it was a coordinator position, mm-hmm. which is, you know, a position that you apply for when you get out of college. Um, it's, it's frankly below an assistant, just coordinating. And I was like, mm-hmm. what, who is this woman hiring a coordinator? <laughs> That's so crazy. And clearly there's a business that she's running. It's not just picking out clothes and, you know, deciding what looks good. So I took that job with her in 20, I don't even know, 2015. And then, um, that was the first glimpse I had in celebrity styling. And I was completely obsessed with every single part of it. So (laughs) amazing. And then when did you decide to launch out and create Brit Theodora studio? I did it at the ripe age of 25, which looking back on it, I'm glad I did it young because it was such a terrifying leap going from a salary to freelance. Um, but if there's a time in your life to live below your means and <laughs> hustle and work really hard, it's in your twenties because it's better to get it over with then. But, um, I absolutely loved being an assistant. I was just at a point where I was feeling a little burnt out and, um, I had a makeup artist friend tell me, you know, you're, you could totally go on your own and do this. I, I was already organically having like models and mm-hmm. little actor friends that I had met reach out to me to style them for little premieres and stuff that they were doing. Um, I had one job lined up when I left Michaela's and that was it. And, and a client. I had one client and one job, which was one look for this woman who was going to... Uh, Venice Film Festival, I think. I can't remember. But um, but it was just really the encouragement I got from my peers in the industry telling me that I was good enough because I think I knew I had it in me, but I was it's it's terrifying to make that sort of leap. But um after three years working for Michaela, it was it was a very, very hands-on job, seven days a week. Um you know, it was, it was a crash course in Mm -hmm. the industry. And, um, and I kind of was ready to, to put in that work and not, if not more of it and just do it under my own, my own name. So. And how's that? And so now that you've had your own (laughs) studio, you, your, your company survived COVID and survived the pandemic. And what surprised you about being out on your own? It is the most rewarding, but also the the highs are high and the lows are so low. Um, No one could have imagined this pandemic. And I'm already working in one of the most competitive industries in the world. Fashion in general is really competitive. Um, You know, working with actors and celebrities, that's also a very competitive industry. Uh, and then living in New York, it's competitive. Mm-hmm. 
everyone who works here works so hard and everyone's so good at what they do. And having this pandemic thrown at us within a year and a half of going on my own was really, really tough. Um, there's really no other word to describe how tough it was. It was pretty, it was pretty painful, <laughs> but, um, I thank God I had you. I don't know if you say this in your intros, but, um, I obviously work with you and I'm so grateful that I had that encouragement because honestly, I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't have people that I respected telling me that I can do it and telling me that, um, oh my God, I'm getting emotional. (laughs) It's true. It's like, I wouldn't be sitting here in New York with the clients that I have if I didn't have people that I respected telling me to keep going. So I'm so glad that I did because there was a moment there. I remember calling my, my parents separately, their divorce. So everything I have to say to one parent, I have to say again for the other parent, which makes it, you know, twice as real because you have to really, you know, when you call your parents that don't live in the same city, you have to really prepare yourself for the reaction that you'll get out of them. If it's something of a serious nature, but I called my parents and I said, I don't know if I'm going to be able to continue living here and continue on with my business. And both of my parents were like, yeah, we think you should come home. We don't know what's going to happen. It's not, you're not a failure. If you come home, there's nothing wrong with that. And, um, we'll make it work. And if you, and I just, the, hearing them say that I was like, this is a hard no. Yeah. <laughs> I will do whatever it takes to not leave New York and go back to Orange County and start over. So, um, so then I started reaching out to people and pivoting a little bit. Um, I, you know, I reached out to, to Pete's team and didn't hear back a few times and reached out to a lot of people, messaged a lot of people on Instagram, had calls with a lot of people and offered my services for free just for some you know, exposure on TikTok or Instagram or whatever. And, you know, I sat down at my computer every day, Monday through Friday in this spot that I'm sitting in right now during the week and just pretend like just kept working as if I was still a functioning business. And, um, that was the best thing I could have done because I, once things started, uh, once, once the, the clouds started, you know, clearing up and the sun came out work picked up a little bit and little by little now things are if you told me a year ago today the things that I've done in the last few months I would be like that's another person Mm -hmm. there's no way that's gonna happen to me so it's pretty surreal (laughs) and what are some of those big projects that you've gotten to do September for fashion was an incredible month because they jam packed like 15 different types of events that usually happen throughout the year. They did in a month. So there was fashion week, the Met Gala, the VMAs and the Emmy awards. Um, I'm probably forgetting, but then also thrown into that were also my other jobs, just, Mm -hmm. you know, usual jobs that I do like press, for other clients and premieres for other clients. Um, so I had Pete Davidson going to the Met Gala, which was 
incredible. He attended with um, Tom Brown and the theme for the Met this year was um, uh, um, American. Essentially, it was the theme, American fashion. So it was really cool for Pete to go with um, a very quintessential American designer. Um, And he wore a dress, which was so cool and different. It was just really, really fun to be able to be a part of that moment. Um, I styled a presentation at Fashion Week uh, with Ronnie Cobo at the Revolve Gallery. Um, and then I had my first client attend the Emmy Awards, Paulina Alexis, who's in Reservation Dogs, which is getting a lot of award season buzz for next year. Um, it is the first show to be completely run by Indigenous people. Um, and she is also Indigenous. Um, she is an Indigenous person. And it's just really fun to be a part of these, what I love about my job is being a part of these big moments, but not only just these big moments, but working with people who are really breaking the glass ceiling in their industries. And, um, so, you know, the Emmys was super, super fun. Um, I had a couple clients go to the VMAs. It just was crazy. This was in three weeks. So now I'm sitting here like, okay, September was like a wild ride. And, um, and then I also switched agencies, which was something that, um, I didn't really know was going to happen. And, um, and that's already been really great. It's been a few weeks and they've brought some great, some, some great stuff in. Um, and they're really helping me curate who my, who my ideal client is in the celebrity space. Cause I really love working with these emerging young actors who are, you know, really doing some some cool unique things so well and they're more inclined to do the fun unique looks as well yeah yeah and they're and they're i also love to support emerging brands and sustainable designers and brands that are practicing a more ethical approach to their businesses so um you know it's really cool to be able to work with these these young actors and say you know this is actually what you're wearing is um an Asian designer out of Brooklyn and she makes Mm -hmm. everything completely sustainable. And my clients are like, Oh, that's sick. Like, that's so cool. I'm so happy to support them. Whereas styling 10 years ago, it was Prada, Gucci, Chanel, Mew Mew, and Mm. you know, all the designer things. And there's nothing Mm. wrong with that. It's just fashion has really evolved, especially after COVID, you know? So Mm -hmm. You had mentioned that you didn't want to leave New York, even though it made lots of logical sense. And you and I talked about this quite a bit because we were looking at all the options for how do you keep your business going? How do you manage cash flow during all of this? Like we looked at all the scenarios and we kept coming back to like not leaving New York. We're going to stay. We're going to stick it out. What is it that you love about New York where you're like, no, this is where I'm supposed to be right now? My, it's just my identity is here. Like I, I, it's a love hate relationship. Um, I'm like, Oh, I wish I lived somewhere where there's a little bit more nature and greenery or ocean. But, um, I think all of us have 
direction that we either listen to or we don't. And there's, um, you know, there's small examples of that. And there's big examples of that, like where you feel like you're meant to be or where you're supposed to live or what you're supposed to do or what you're supposed to eat, you know, what song you want to listen to, like what kind of music that you're in the mood for. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's that direction that like lives in us. And for whatever reason, it's kind of unexplainable. It's just that I'm supposed to be here. So, um, I don't really, my personality is way more on intuition and my gut than what's practical. Mm -hmm. And, um, my parents who are both lawyers would tell me all the reasons why I shouldn't be living in New York. But at the end of the day, it's not really going to matter if like, I just feel like I need to be here. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so many people I'm shocked. Um, and living in California right now, I grew up going to New York all the time. We would go on field trips and my family was there and it was just normal to go to the city. And I have people in my life out here in California who have never been, which I am flabbergasted by. I probably act the same way when someone from like Iowa tells me they've never seen the ocean. Um, So for people who haven't been to, to, to New York, how much is it, is it more like the movie Kids or is it more like Sex in the City? Um, well, it depends. Like (laughs) for lifestyle, I'm, I'm actually trying to think of, of a movie that really depicts New York because you see all these movies growing up Mm -hmm. when Harry met Sally or sex in the city. Um, I'm thinking more like fashion-y stuff, devil wears Prada, you know? Yeah. You've got male it romanticizes New York a bit, but, um, New York is just, there's such an energy here and, uh, and it's, you, you have to find the beauty in a lot of things because, um, especially during this pandemic, it's been, it's, it's been a little bit rough. I was here during lockdown too, but there's just like a unexplainable magic here that truly doesn't exist anywhere else. Um, but then there are, there are kind of dark parts of New York that, um, people don't talk about as much. And, and, you know, like today, this homeless person tried to bite my ear while I was waiting on the side of the street for the, from the crosswalk to go. Also, you're frozen. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Sorry. You said that. A homeless person tried to bite your ear while you were waiting across the street. Yeah. This woman came up to me and was like literally trying to bite me. And, you know, like, and then (laughs) then 15 minutes later, I'm sitting down having a, a coffee at a cafe, a coffee and a croissant at a cafe with the, with the, uh, Vogue magazine that I got that I picked up and had like a lovely afternoon. So (laughs) I think that. That's a really good example of like New York in a nutshell. It's, um, you know, you find the beauty in, in it. And then sometimes you get you, not sometimes every hour you are hit with some sort of reality. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, that's, that's what New York really is, but it keeps me on my toes and there's days that I love it. There's days that I'm like, I need, 
I, I need a break and I need to get out of the city. But usually mm-hmm. that's like me just going upstate. I'm not like getting on a plane and flying somewhere exotic. Like I'm not doing anything drastic. I'm still in the state, but. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that brings up a good point because I know when I was working in fashion and especially in footwear, footwear changes so differently when you are in a city versus when you're not. Like, yeah. Shoes that people wear every day in Orange County, you would never be able to wear in New York City because they would last like one block and you would be like throwing them at somebody. No, you actually have to wear things for comfort here. And I also love seeing what other people are doing and wearing. And um, there's really cool uh, Instagram accounts now. And I think he has a TikTok account. It's called, I think it's called Watching New York or something. But they're like paparazzi like shots, but they're of normal people. And it's really cool to see what, you know, your neighbor downstairs is wearing walking to the grocery store. And it's this photographer takes these beautiful photos of people walking. And it's, it's a really, really beautiful take on fashion because it's what people are practically wearing. And sometimes people don't always dress practically, but it's, it shows, it, it shows because it's like, even if, this person is wearing a high stiletto and they're walking in cobblestone, watching them walk and, and their strut and their confidence yeah. is like, oh, that's so cool. Like only in New York would you see that. <laughs> and it, that's inspiring within itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, like when but, they're pushing fall like boots and like suede, I'm like, you've never lived in weather. <laughs> no, exactly. Or uh, I love the the crop sweater, mohair sweater trends right now. I'm like, it's a beautiful look. If you live in LA and the coldest it gets, it's 55 degrees. Like I can't wear a crop sweater. I'm wearing like, no, a very oversized sweater to actually keep me warm. But, um, yeah, there's, there's so many things like that, but we all sacrifice it for fashion, you know? (laughs) Well, I remember growing up reading the same magazines, like uh, my closet wall or doors would be covered with like all these clippings I would put and I had like a whole like board up. And I remember looking at some of these styles growing up in, you know, outside of Philadelphia and then Boston and being like, who, whoever wears a dress with a beanie? Like I couldn't comprehend who could do that. And now I think back, I'm like, oh, all those styles were for LA because you cannot wear, either it's too hot, you would never wear the beanie or it's too cold and you have to be wearing a sweater over that dress plus leggings, plus boots. (laughs) Like, yeah, it's so interesting to me to see that. And, And I just was looking through, I think it was free movements catalog. And they're showing all these ski parkas with crop tops and like super baggy pants. And I'm like, that, no, everyone's going to look like an Oompa Loompa. Like there's no way or like you're not, you can't look that cute and be warm. I think that's, that is also when you say that, I think of the difference between editorial styling and celebrity styling because editorial is a little bit more dramatic. Like mm-hmm. I, I have some examples that I'll have to visually just explain because people can't see. But for example, we have um, you know, we have the cover of Vogue Om Paris and these male models are wearing these adorable matching tank top suits with big oversized fashion, fa- very fashiony hats. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, here we have Jonah Hill on the cover of 
GQ style. And he's wearing a short matching suit that's a sh- the pants are shorts. Um, and he has a lay on, like a literal flower lay. Mm-hmm. And would that be something that you see Monday through Friday? Normally, no. But that's what makes it interesting. And that's what mm-hmm. kind of sells us on fashion. But I also am pretty... Um, to make fashion more practical, that's actually more challenging for me, which is why I love styling people mm-hmm. because there's such a difference between a client who is on set with a team of people. You don't see what's behind what they're wearing, right. but they have clamps and clips and safety pins and tape and there's Photoshop and there's all these things that really can make something appear to be what mm-hmm. it's not. But for celebrity styling, it's like you have to get have a tailor and the client actually has to feel like they can move in what they're wearing or if they're on a talk show, how low cut is their, is their shirt? Where is the slit in their pant? Is it on the left side? Because on certain talk shows, you the camera is facing you know your right side. So you're mm-hmm. not going to wear anything with the slit in your right leg. And there's all these weird nuances that you have to think about. And that's what makes styling um, really cha- like uh, stimulating and challenging for me because I'm it, it, it's problem solving in that way. Whereas editorial, editorial is so fun and it gets people talking and, mm-hmm. and not that, you know, celebrity styling definitely gets people talking as well. Pete wearing a dress to the Met Gala is, you know, not totally something a lot of men are doing, but that's also a whole other conversation of normalizing men wearing dresses and, and creating a more gender, gender neutral space for fashion, but wearing a crop top with the, um, with the puffer jacket <laughs> is totally, totally editorialized in that way. And, um, I have a client, she's a model and she, during fashion week, she will suffer the cold to wear something that's like tight fitted and cropped and whatever with a big oversized jacket. And I, I feel like we see the Hadids do it a lot in the winter Mm -hmm. and then living in New York. If I actually did that, I'm like, I am so cold, but I also don't live a a luxury life where I'm getting in a, in a private car and then getting out of the private car. Like I actually take the subway (laughs) and like do all these things, but um, yeah, if you're outside for two minutes, you can wear anything. Exactly. Like, and you can wear like a five inch Christian Louboutin, uh, high heel with a pointed toe in the snow. If you are literally just walking into a venue, but, um, so there are obviously like ways that clients are willing to suffer it, but a lot of clients are, especially after COVID, I'm seeing a lot of clients, um, really they're way more practical with what they're wearing a lot of my female clients will not wear a heel over a heel higher than um, one and a half inches mm-hmm. because every, we've been wearing sweatpants for uh, the last year and a half and people aren't really ready to suffer comfort for a high heel because they're just like, I, I don't have the endurance for it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, and I don't blame them. <laughs> no. And I'm also always thinking about like seeing people in these amazing gowns, especially the super structural, dramatic ones for the Met Gala. I'm like, oh, you're wearing those shoes and now you have to stand for the next three hours because you can't sit. We get sent like CBD lotions to put in our kit to put on clients. But the trick with women who are wearing gowns, if you don't see their feet, but also it's, it's still something that I would do if their feet are shown. But the best thing to do is, is to put them in a platform. Mm-hmm. Even those, even those, even though those look the most uncomfortable, that platform under the toe of the foot just, and I'm sure, you know, this working in footwear is, is so much more comfortable than, um, than wearing something without support under, under the, uh, ball of your foot. Mm But, um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's actually really crazy. Like the sacrifice women and now we're seeing men make when, when wearing, um, heels, apparently Blake Lively taught me this. She said that, uh, Christian Louboutin designed his heel, the, his like classic pump. Mm -hmm. Um, so it flexes every muscle in your leg when you're wearing it. Thank you. And no, thank you all at the same time. (laughs) Exactly. Like it is really crazy when you put one on, you can see like all of the, your leg just totally, Mm -hmm. everything's like flexed and it, it creates this like illusion of a more toned, Mm -hmm. elongated leg, um, which is crazy that that does that, but we need special workouts just to wear shoes now. I, I can't wear heels, but I would be lying if I, uh, said that I don't have like 50 pairs, if not more of five plus inch heels in my office for all <laughs> my clients. <laughs> well, cause they're so pretty. Like there's yeah. so many shoes that you're like, Oh, the shoe looks so great. Like it's, you know, there's being someone coming from the shoe world, like there are shoes that I've bought that I'm like, I just want to look at you and like, have you on a shelf. I don't ever need to wear you. Like, Oh no, I just bought a pair of Manolos from the real, real for that reason. Mm -hmm. I wore them to dinner and I felt really adult. That was like my adult Harry Bradshaw moment, but they're so pretty. And I'm like, they're collectible, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And, and a city like New York ruins things like that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But here we are. Here we are. <laughs> we go uh, through it anyways. <laughs> when when you so you talked about how you are cozy most of the time, especially now that it's fall. Yeah. And so when people think about celebrity stylists, I think the Rachel Zoe probably has been the most famous ones. We, you know, you would think like a celebrity stylist, like you must be dazzled all the time yourself. <laughs> and what is the reality of you being a stylist and what your everyday style is like? Like, do you dress up when you're on, on sets or at shoots or what, how do you decide your fashion choices? It really depends. This is where energy styling really came into play for me because, um, I, when I went off on my own, I was having a bit of a, this is a dramatic way to put it, but I was having a bit of an identity crisis because I had been 
spending three years um, picking clothes for clients that my boss would would choose. And that's what you do as an assistant. You're like a reflection of them. You have to think like them. And that's what trains you how to be a stylist because when you're your own stylist, you're getting in the head of your client as well, but also Mm -hmm. what your own um, style and aesthetic is. And so I was having a moment where I felt like I just didn't have my own style anymore. And I was like, who am I to be hired and paid to get people dressed for um, events if I don't even know what I want to be wearing every day? And that's what made me really think about, um, you know, who who's designing our clothes, how I actually feel while wearing it, um, and colors. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was, I, I think starting a business and starting doing something scary like going off on your own um i went through a bit of i i was super insecure i i felt i wasn't like in the best place and i wasn't feeling very confident and i was like how if i don't feel confident how am i going to help other people feel confident um and i started thinking about colors and how um, I was during this time in my life, I was going, uh, I was learning how to meditate and I was learning about the different colors, um, in meditation and what they emanate. And I started gravitating towards wearing those colors. And it was like a personal journey. I was like, it, it I didn't, I never said it out loud. I never was like, Oh, I'm wearing mm-hmm. blue today because I need, um, you know, a little bit of mental clarity and blue is you know, a color that I wear when, um, you know, I feel like I need a little bit of a, uh, stress relief because Mm -hmm. it's a balancing color or, you know, I'm wearing all white today because I really need a blank. I need some like blanks, blank page energy in my life. I, I, I started really doing that. And then Mm -hmm. once I started telling a few people about it, they were like, I've never thought about getting dressed like that. Um, so that's where energy styling started. So to answer your question on what I wear every day, um, the first thing is, is I'm, I always have to be comfortable. I'm a highly like sensitive person. If I'm wearing something that's not comfortable, I can't focus and do my job because my job is to literally get someone else ready and dressed and think strategically about their image. So I can't be thinking about my pants being uncomfortable or my shirt being itchy or something. So comfort is really important. I tend to gravitate towards a uniform um, depending on the season, but usually it's some sort of like jeans and a t-shirt and a blazer or, you know, something straightforward. I'll have my moments where I'll want to wear like a splash of color Mm -hmm. because I'll, I need a little bit of energy styling to help inspire me for my day. Um, there, there was definitely a period of time where I was obsessed with pink and it actually learning the colors that I was gravitating towards was teaching me a lot about what I needed or, uh, was craving in my life, whether it's Mm -hmm. comfort or love, confidence, luck, money, like whatever that is. And so it helped me be way more in tune with 
myself. And then it totally translated into my work and into my clients. Mm -hmm. So when I get ready in the morning, it's probably a little bit more, it's strategic, but like it's such, it's become such an autopilot thing for me that Mm -hmm. I don't verbalizing why I'm wearing what I'm wearing takes me a second, but it's because I've been spending now years understanding this concept and translating it onto clients. And that's when I started working with um, normal people I'm quoting because I think that's silly to talk about non-celebrities as normal people. I don't know, just everyone. Yeah. Um, And helping use this as a tool to get ready in the morning because a lot of people um, struggle with, with what to wear every day. And I think energy styling is such a fun and interesting way to um, look at your clothes, repurpose things that you already own, and then fill in the gaps of colors that you might not own. And it helps that I'm a professional stylist because then I can help figure out what silhouettes and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. look, how they look on you. But um, it's just, it is, I, I use color therapy every single day. Even mm-hmm. if it's like my gray sweatshirt that I'm wearing. I mean, this sweatshirt that I'm wearing now is my Catskills sweatshirt and it's still energy styling in a way because when I wear this sweatshirt, I think of um, one of my favorite places ever and it's comfortable and it's com- it's comforting and gray is also, I'm wearing gray sweatpants too. But I tend to gravitate towards gray when I'm, um, when I'm needing to relax because it's a really grounding color. It's the color of stone. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> well, what I think is the longest way to answer that question. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's good. Having gone through the experience myself of working with you. Yeah. I, for me, I was like, oh, it'll be fun. Like I was so busy. I'm like, I do not have time to go shopping. I do not have time to think about this. If I'm left to my own devices, I'm going to be wearing like jeans, a sweater and sneakers, jeans, t-shirt and sneakers. Cause I know how to do that working in streetwear. Like I can do that look and feel confident going into a meeting. No problem. Cause it's mm-hmm. probably going to be all black done. Thank you. Goodbye. And I'm in and out. Yeah. But moving into the space I've been as an entrepreneur, we, you and I talked, I'm like, I need to be making sure that the aesthetic I'm presenting is also representing the service people are going to be getting. And yeah. I, I need help. And it was such a, an amazing experience doing it with you because you're so relaxed and casual as a human. But then when you're in the role of stylist, like it's a different level of Brit. <laughs> like you are there and you're like this, 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 do that, do this. And you are, you do styling in such a therapeutic way because you're so gentle about rec- making recommendations Like, why do you keep choosing the bigger size? You should be going smaller. We should do this. Like you, there's so much uh, of your love language that comes out when you're styling someone that I was like, I feel great. I want to have Brit trust me every day. And it just, it changes things. And you, you give such tips to like really help. I feel, I felt confident after doing our session together that I could take that forward, which I didn't know if I'd be able to, because I was like, I don't know what she's going to recommend or do. And yeah, it's been so great. In fact, I wore an outfit to a friend's birthday dinner and they were like, Oh, is this part of your stylist? I'm like, no, this one I did myself, but 
thinking of Brit the entire time. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. He's so happy. But I recommend that everyone do it. If you, if it's, it's probably more affordable than people think it is, but I, I want people to find a stylist or call you because you would obviously be my first choice, but yeah. call you and do a virtual styling because in what, like two hours, like you can change your life forever about how you feel about clothes and what you wear yeah. and what choices you're making. Because no one, most of the time, whenever we see it, it's never on someone who looks like us at all. And that's where everything goes sideways. You could pick out everything from the, the photo shoot, put it on. And as you said, there's, it's not tailored. It doesn't fit right. Yeah. It's the proportions are wrong for your body. Like all these things happen. And, and that's when people are like, ah, I'll give it up and go back to sweatpants. Bye. And that's why like, that is why there's so many unspoken things about, uh, clothing in that way. And everyone has their own battle with trying things on in the dressing room because I'll say it now, like let's normalize tailoring. Mm -hmm. Everyone needs things tailored, even supermodels and no one really talks about it. Um, but it's so, it, it, it can be such a quick and easy fix. Obviously it's a little bit more effort, but you also are going to probably keep something longer if mm -hmm. you've gotten it tailored for your body. Um, there's things in my closet that I won't, that I will have so much longer because I'm like, mm -hmm. this, these pants were tailored for me. And, um, so when you invest in your clothing, you're also investing in yourself and it, and it really does translate, um, into, into your confidence and walking in a room or an interview or whatever, when, um, you're wearing something and it's fit for you. But I think a lot of people and women especially and men are are the same way too if something doesn't fit right away they're like nope i'm done mm -hmm. but when it's something like a hem or tapering or taking something in or whatever it is or buying something in a size up and taking it in if it's fitting in between it's totally normal to do that i think it's just hard for people who don't have someone who knows what they're talking about to to, to give them that encouragement because most clothing doesn't, they, most clothing don't, doesn't, I can't speak English, but <laughs> most clothing doesn't fit people exactly how we think it should. And this happened to me. I, I went shopping for the first time since COVID. I haven't gone, I'm, I'm around clothes all day long, but I haven't gone into a store and gone into a dressing room and tried on clothing in literal years. And my body's changed. And so now I'm like, okay, what can actually be fixed by a tailor and what mm -hmm. totally can't be fixed by a tailor. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that I, I always, whenever I work with people, I always see how they can look their best. So it's nice that you're able to trust me in that process because something might not look perfect right away, but I do think I have, like an, an ability to be able to see the finished product beforehand. That's why I get really excited about clothing. And when I'm in fittings with clients, when I, when it's like that moment of like, like if I'm fitting a client for a premiere and mm -hmm. for example, like Paulina Alexis, her, she wore that yellow top and skirt, that skirt was 
was on a model who was six foot on the runway. And Paulina is probably like five foot four or something. Mm-hmm. So it didn't fit her perfectly in the fitting, but with the, with the tailor there and knowing what shoes she was going to be wearing and altering the skirt and everything, the top also didn't fit her properly. But it's like, you know, you're like, oh, that's mm-hmm. it. That's it. Once it's all, once we can like fix it a little bit and tweak it, it's going to be perfect. And let the, and most people need that hundred percent, even for things that we wear every day, like jeans. It's why like Carla Welsh, who's a really big stylist, um, she created Carla Haynes collaboration and she made t-shirts because she was in fittings with Justin Bieber and they just couldn't find the white tee that they were looking for. So they were just tailoring Haynes t-shirts mm-hmm. and then she created a whole business out of it. Yep. So well, and, always and thinking if, ahead. Always. <laughs> always finding business opportunities in anything but yep i appreciate that i've planted myself permanently in your brain 100 <laughs> percent. um so when you hear the words powerful and the words ladies what do they mean to you separately and what do they mean to you when they're combined you created a new definition of power powerful ladies for me because honestly when i think of the word powerful i think of women um and I don't know if that's because of being a part of the powerful ladies. Mm-hmm. Um, I could have like a long-winded definition of the word powerful, but I really do feel like women own that word now. And um, obviously men can be powerful too. <laughs> but um, when I think of powerful ladies, I think of women supporting other women that it kind of like ties into what I was saying earlier. Like I wouldn't have gone and started my own thing, own thing if I didn't have other people that I respected telling me that I can do this for a living. And mm-hmm. powerful ladies to me is a group of people who are all well respected, encouraging each other to follow their dreams and do what they feel like they're put on earth to do. Yeah. Who are some of the powerful ladies in your life who have inspired you and supported you along the way? My mom, my sisters. Uh, my mom is a lawyer and she is a Title IX expert. Um, she's a lawyer for the California State University system and she's a total badass. Um, she really taught me how to stand up for myself as a woman um, in any, in any room and do, do, do what feels right. Um, and my, my older sister is, is also a very powerful lady in that sense. She gave me a loan to hire you as my coach. And that is like the definition of a powerful lady because she in her own right is so successful at what she does. And she is just constantly always supporting me emotionally and physically too. And it was um, really, really special that she did that. I'm really fortunate to, to be surrounded by a lot of powerful ladies. I have, I have four sisters. I have no brothers. So powerful ladies is definitely a uh, theme in my life. Um, and then, you know, apart from you, which 
you are the queen of the, the powerful boss ladies. <laughs> um, I'm so fortunate to have my sisters and my mom. Um, and I share my office space with another female entrepreneur. Um, I surround myself with a lot of like-minded friends here in New York. Um, and a lot of them are your clients as well. And, um, they're just total badasses Mm -hmm. in, in their industry is not just fashion. So that's one of the best parts of my job is that so much of it is a referral based business that I don't just impact one person in their business, in their bubble, but I start impacting whole groups of people. It becomes like this snowball effect of they're doing great and they're doing great. So everyone else starts doing great. And like, it's really cool to see the, like the snowball going down the hill, picking up momentum and taking like a whole group of people with it together. Mm -hmm. Well, especially with women naturally feeling oppressed by a lot of um, things, it gets us thinking in a way that I wouldn't normally intuitively think to do. Like I actually, uh, Lisa from Ian Charms and I just got off the phone before our podcast because we're collaborating on um, something for November. But she was like, Kara said that, uh, (laughs) you know, what if this is an option? And it's kind of cool because it's helping, especially like young entrepreneurs say, uh, strategize in a way that we wouldn't usually be strategizing. So you've really helped me and and the generation of women that I know you're working with, teaching them those skills. It's normalizing being friends with your friends that are also people that you work with or clients Mm -hmm. or whatever. So that is something that... um, and, And even people who don't work with you, because of because of you, I'm able to translate that in other relationships um, in my industry, which I'm grateful for because that's that's the hard part is having a creative job and then also monetizing it in a way, you know? Yeah, well, it's, it's easy to to do what you love, which is the creative artistic part and having a couple go-to practices or even things to say or processes so that you can always make sure that you're not just having fun, but getting paid (laughs) or like that makes such a difference because suddenly you get to do what you love and, you know, be paid the way you deserve to. So, yeah, I mean, it's one of the reasons why creative entrepreneurs are one of my specialties because just like you see like how amazing someone could look, I see how amazing your business could be. Yeah. And so it's like, cool, let's just build these structures. So you get to stay in your zone of genius because I can't do what you do and I need you to be able to do what you do so that I can work with you and other people can like we forget how our businesses are needed by other people in the world. And that's why it's so important to just like we need to be our, our take care of ourselves to be at our best. We have to, so we can help other people. Our businesses need to be that way too. Yeah. And that's why identifying what makes you unique is going to be your strong suit because there's so many people generically that can do, you know, one specific thing and mm-hmm. figuring out what 
Like that was a big light bulb for me. I was talking to another stylist and um, she was like, I can't remember what the, I can't remember exactly what we were talking about, but we were talking about why we do what we do. And I was <laughs> like, I love making people look and feel good. It's, it's like a, it's therapy, it's therapeutic in a way and it's healing. And I love mm-hmm. that process and it, and it fuels me and it gives me purpose. And she kind of looked at me and was like, oh, well, I just like really like nice things (laughs) and I like designer things and I just like pretty things. And there's nothing wrong with that. But Mm -mm. that was a big light bulb moment for me because I thought everyone, every stylist felt this way. And I'm sure there are a ton of stylists that feel this way, but there's just because someone is one thing doesn't mean everyone um, has the same brand ethos. And that translates also into what we wear Mm-hmm. There's a million different designers and brands out there. What makes them unique? And it's the same with business coaches and artists and, you know, everything. So, um, but it takes a lot of like self-reflection and it also takes, I've had to experience really low moments to figure out what that is. It's not always sunshine, butterflies and rainbows when it comes to figuring out, you know, what makes you your own unicorn, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of that, we ask everybody, where do you put yourself on the powerful lady scale? If zero is average everyday human and 10 is the most powerful lady possible, where do you put yourself on average and where would you put yourself today? Um, today I'm feeling like an 11 out of 10. Yes. Because whenever I talk to you, it reminds me of why I love what I do and what makes my business unique. Um, on an average, I would say an eight, (laughs) that's seven, eight, but that's because I am not, I'm not the person that walks in a room and demands power. (laughs) So that's why I wouldn't put myself on a 10 on average, because I feel like I walk into a room and, um, you know, I want to appear powerful, but I give myself a seven, eight, because that is the number that feels like my personality in a sense. I still, <laughs> I like to, I like to, to lead a room and I like to be a leader and I like to have, I guess, quoting power, but, um, but not in an overpowering way. But right now I feel pretty powerful. Good. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. I don't know. Well, and for people who want to follow you, support you, work with you, where can they go? Where can they find you? They can find me on the best place is probably Instagram. Um, if you just search my name, Brit Theodora, my handle is Brit.Theodora. Uh, my email is Brit at BritTheodora.com. And, um, yeah, those are probably the best places to find me. I'm I'm trying to get on TikTok, but I wouldn't encourage a follow there yet. I'm not I'm not <laughs> totally confident in my TikTok skills and I need to work on Twitter. But yeah. <laughs> Perfect. And then as we're wrapping up today, what are some words of advice that you would like to share with everyone listening? I just feel like I'm sure a lot of people listen to this podcast 
who also need inspiration from other women. Maybe they're going to start a business or their business is not where they want it to be, or they don't know what they're, they don't know what they want to do. And, um, they're feeling a little bit lost and, um, coming from someone who has experienced like very low lows and working in a very competitive industry and not knowing if I was good enough, feel the discomfort of that because that's what's going to point you in the direction that you should be in. And there's nothing wrong with having those moments because without that, then there's no reason to keep going or pivot or do something that you wouldn't ever necessarily do. Even if it's like, you know, if you're a really routine person and you have a very specific route home, maybe take another street and stop in the coffee shop for whatever reason. And you just never know, like you just never know where life is going to take you. So well said, I agree. Go have a, go have a journey. (laughs) Well, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you for being a yes to powerful ladies, to thrive, to me and to Oh my God, I'm so honored. This was so fun. It's so, it's always so easy and fun talking to you and, um, And it's such an honor to be on your podcast. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. All the links to connect with Britt are in our show notes at thepowerfulladies.com forward slash podcast. There you can also leave comments and ask questions about this episode. Want more Powerful Ladies? Come join us on Instagram at Powerful Ladies, where you can also find some free downloads to start being more powerful today. Please subscribe to this podcast and help us connect with more listeners by leaving us a five-star rating and review at Apple Podcasts. If you're looking to connect directly with me, visit caraduffy.com or follow me on Instagram at Kara underscore Duffy. I'd like to thank our producer, composer, and audio engineer, Jordan Duffy. Without her, this wouldn't be possible. You can follow her on Instagram at Jordan K. Duffy. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, I were taking on being powerful in your life. Go be awesome and up to something you love.